This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Finding asteroids that are passing close to Earth is not nearly as easy as you might think, even when they're, quote, as big as a, as a stadium. Now, that's, you know, a hundred, couple hundred meters in size, somewhere in that vicinity. But that really is still a very small speck. And when we're scanning the night skies, and we are doing this continuously, finding those relatively faint, and that's really the important thing, how bright they are, finding those faint objects is just not easy. We look hard and we're continually monitoring literally tens of thousands of objects, but occasionally one sneaks through that we weren't aware of, and uh, as I said, yeah, this is one of those. Ouch. Well, and uh, the Sorry. potential, <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, it doesn't give us a lot of pause for confidence. You know, I mean, uh, some night you're awakened with this loud bang and you're seeing a mushroom cloud. But, but I mean, OK, uh, well, let, let, let me reassure you just one, 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 one other way. Most of the objects that we do find, of course, are clear misses. And that includes this one. So even when you're talking about 100,000 kilometers away, still 100,000 kilometers. And so we're actually a lot harder to hit than you might think, which is a good thing. Well, there was one, I guess, about, uh, when, 10, 15 years ago in Chelyabinsk, I guess, in Siberia, and it just cleared out trees for, I don't know how many, the radius or whatever, and that was a relatively small one, wasn't it? That's right. That one was about 50 meters. It was Chelyabinsk, and it was in February of 2013. Uh, and actually, the majority of its damage was done courtesy of an air blast, a sonic boom, if you will, that basically shattered every piece of glass in the town and then buried itself in an ice lake. Uh, but we were able to dig it up, which was rather good. Uh, yes, that is a dangerous event, but I, I guess when you're thinking about a 50-metre diameter object uh, versus potential... Sorry, not 50, 15, excuse me, I wasn't 50 metres. It was a 15-metre, 50 feet uh, diameter object that really is very small, and those ones are raining down on us all the time. Fortunately, 70% of our planet is water, so most of them are nowhere near us. But that one in Chelabinks is a bit of a wake-up call that you know, we are in a shooting gallery, and it's one of the main reasons that astronomers have all sky surveys continually looking out to try and find as many of these potentially uh, extinction-level events as we can, and that's up around half a kilometre to a kilometre. We sort of don't sweat the 15 metres ones. <laughs> I see. But the extinction level events, uh, they're the ones we ought to be concerned about. Now, the one that wiped out the dinosaurs 63 million or 65 million years ago fell in the Yucatan there, that big crater you can see from space. Uh, about how big was that in terms of diameter? Somewhere between 1 and 10 kilometers. Uh, as you can imagine, you know, figuring out the exact size depends upon the composition of the object. A, you know, sort of a metallic-type meteorite uh, striking the ground will be a little bit smaller to create the damage that we saw versus one that was sort of like a sandy composition. It will be larger. Uh, so somewhere between 1 and 10. So let us say a few kilometers in diameter. That's what took out the dinosaurs. And those are the ones that we are you know, assiduously watching. We've found something like 990 one-kilometer diameter or more meteors, asteroids, that are in uh, proximity to Earth, what we call Earth-crossing asteroids. And those are the ones that we're paying really close attention to. We're now working our way down to smaller ones, you know, 600 metres, 500 metres. But the number of those that are out there, it just about goes up by a factor of 10 for every change in 100 metre size. So it quickly becomes tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of these objects that we're looking for. 
Again, Paul Delaney's with us, astronomy expert, professor at York University, just in reference to this uh, story that we got a little too late, uh, that earlier in the month, this asteroid had passed Earth, and uh, nobody knew about it until it had actually gone, because they were tracking its trajectory, if I understand correctly. So are these things, uh, they tend to have a constant orbit uh, of sorts? Well, therein lies one of the other problems. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, you know, they, we, we have to be able to find them two, three, four times in a row, so over three, four, five nights, to be able to plot the orbit and say, this is its path around the sun, and therefore, potentially, this is how close it's going to get to the Earth. But every time these objects pass relatively close to a, a big object like the Earth, like Mars, like Venus, and so on, their orbits subtly are changed. They are deflected a little bit. So what happens happens this pass may not necessarily happen the same way on its next pass by us, hence why we are continually monitoring. These things are continually changing. Uh, the orbits are continually changing. That 1,000-odd objects that I indicated that are one kilometer in diameter or more, given enough time, I'm now talking hundreds of millions to billions of years, those objects are likely to find their way onto the Earth's surface, unfortunately. But think of the time scale here, John. I mean, you know, a billion years, that's a long time. And that's the sort of thing when we look at the, uh, the geologic record here, the dinosaurs were taken out 65 million years ago. There was another event that uh, was an extinction-level event that occurred about 240 million years ago. And so we can see them scattered through the, the geologic record, but they are spaced out by tens to hundreds of millions of years. Yeah, and when you say this would inevitably come down to Earth over that broad time span, is that due to the gravitational pull that they would come into and uh, do their damage? And which leads to the other question, if in the event that we were to see something suddenly pop up, uh, coming close to it, can they be diverted? So the answer to the first question is, given enough time, the gravitational influence of the Earth in this particular instance can bring those objects into our gravitational field through what we call a keyhole in space and actually impact us. It's got to be a very, very specific trajectory, but given enough time, it's going to find that keyhole. With respect to if we see one with our name written all over it, what can we do about it? Please don't call Bruce Willis. Uh, you know, we, we, we actually, at the moment, don't have any definitive way to deflect. It all is a function of time. If, if we know that there is an object that's three, four, five years away from us, and it really has a high probability of impact, then there are mechanisms that NASA and other space agencies are playing with at the moment that could divert. Uh, these types of objects. I mean, it doesn't need much of a movement to move it out of that keyhole in space. But if we find it three, four, five days in advance, I'd find your best golf club or quickly go. <laughs> because we have nothing that is going to stop an asteroid that's a kilometer in size if we only find it three, four, five days into the future. I, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but that's the reality of it at the moment. But if we can get it months to years in advance, then the possibility of deflecting it, literally, as silly as it sounds, strapping an engine onto these asteroids and then just letting it continually thrust, just a gentle little bit of thrust, with three, four, five years' worth of advanced timing, it can move it out of the way very easily. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.